0: That was like a whole Thanksgiving service in itself, wasn't it? We gave God thanks. I want to welcome you all here. Good to be gathering to thank God in a special way, even though we thank Him all the time. We should be, and we hope we are. Uh, I want to just thank the music team for, you know, leading us in that worship and getting our hearts uh, tuned right. Let's pray before we look into God's word. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you that there are talented people who write music and talented people who can sing music and that we're able to just praise you in song, among other things. We thank you for our gathering as we encourage one another. We thank you for your word that teaches us, helps us, encourages us. We pray, Lord, that you would now help us to understand your word even more and have it uh, just affect our hearts in a great way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I trust, or at least hope, that everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving celebration this last week. And this month, you know, we've been talking about how important it is, how important Thanksgiving is, thankfulness is, to our Christian faith. I mean, the whole Christian faith is based on something that we're thankful for. Over and over again, the Apostle Paul tells Christians in his letters that they should be thankful. And thankfulness really does affect a person and their attitude if you're thankful and you carry that thankfulness along. And it makes perfect sense for Christians, of course, because Jesus was so willing to suffer the most horrible of all deaths so that we could be set free from our sins and we would have a future to look forward to. You know, we sinned. He paid the price for our forgiveness because that's that's the only way you get to heaven is through forgiveness. So then that just makes sense that we should be eternally grateful. Yet we know as fallen creatures who aren't yet fully redeemed. We've been redeemed, but we got some more redemption coming. We're not always thankful, are we? You know, life happens, and we kind of lose that thankful feeling from time to time. Maybe some of us more than others. And here's the concern. You know, when we're walking in gratefulness, When we're walking in the gratefulness of God's love for us, for what Christ has done for us, what God sacrificed as he sacrificed his son, if we're walking in that light, then we are just more winsome people. And that means we're more likely to attract other people to the gospel message. But when we move away from that gratefulness or that spirit of thanksgiving <clears throat> that should be just a major part of who we are right because of Christ because of his sacrificial love well we can lose that winsomeness or that attractiveness and we can become just as sour as someone who doesn't know Jesus can't we I mean it can happen it happens <laughs> we don't have to confess the last time it happened to us but <clears throat> But this morning, in the next few minutes, I would like to look at one major arch enemy of having a grateful heart. And there are many examples in the Bible, and there are more ways we can lose our gratitude, or our thankfulness. But this enemy can and does cancel out any attitude of thankfulness and can turn us into very unattractive people that nobody would want to follow. So this morning I want to look at a few brief passages that show us this deadly enemy against gratefulness and show us that God desires what God desires of us and deserves from us. So I want to start with Genesis chapter 4. We're going to be in just a few passages, just real briefly. Genesis 4 begins with an account of Adam and Eve and their firstborns. Genesis 4, and we're going to read from the middle of verse 2 through 5. Introduces us to Adam and Eve's children. Now, Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So, there we have who does what. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, people wonder sometimes when they, as you look at that passage, if it was the offering that made the difference. You know, Cain gave something, you know, from the, the, the fruit from his farming and then Abel gave a live animal that was sacrificed for the Lord. And maybe that's the difference between God liking one sacrifice and not the other. But you know, that doesn't seem to bear out as you look through the passage. First of all, it doesn't say that the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering but didn't look with favor on Cain's offering. If it would have said it that way we may think more likely it was the offering itself. But it says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering but not so much on Cain and his offering. Then the very next statement says Cain got angry and his face was downcast. So the wording and the description leads us to think that it was really Cain's attitude because it goes into how Cain thought through things. And that would be the condition of his heart. And so the Lord was really displeased with Cain's heart condition and the attitude with which he offered the sacrifice. And as we read further, we will see one of the arch enemies of gratitude or thankfulness. So verses 6 through 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So there we see that it is an attitude. It's a mindset, because the Lord is telling him, if you have the right attitude, then you know, sin doesn't have that hold on you. But if you have a rotten attitude, sin can grab you, put you in its clutches. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So we see one very strategic enemy of thanksgiving, and it's envy. Jealousy, envy. How come he gets treated better than me? Why does he receive your favor and I don't? And then it's as if he says, I'll see to it that that never happens again. So he invites Abel out to a walk, I guess. But here's the major point. Envy undermines or destroys gratitude. You know, Cain was an envious person before that. He was one who thought maybe he was cheated or he had some kind of bad attitude, and that's why he didn't give an offering to the Lord. And all through that episode, we see that Cain's attitude wasn't pure. I mean, he goes out and kills his brother. That kind of shows us something, doesn't it? His attitude really was a self-centered, me-first-and-foremost attitude. And what is a fruit of self-centeredness? It's envy, one of the fruits of self-centeredness, envy, which robs us of joy and robs us of gratitude. When we're thankful, we're happier. When we're thankful, we're happy, aren't we? If we're envious, we're mad about something. When we're filled with gratitude, we're joyous, we're positive, we're uplifted. People like to be around us. But, you know, when we're envious and we're thinking that everybody owes us something or we've been cheated, that turns everything negative. Now, we won't get too far into this, but that's what's happening today in our culture, isn't it? People are being told that they should be angry and envious. We're being pushed that way. But now we have all kinds of examples of envy in the Bible, but only... Time enough to cover a few so I want to go to first Samuel now chapter 18 and read the first nine verses it says after David had finished now this is right after David well in, in the as the Bible tells it, it's right after David kills Goliath or soon after after David had finished talking with Saul Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his home, turn home, return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang, "'Saul has slain his thousands,' and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry with this refrain, and it displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So we have King Saul and his son Jonathan Saul was a mighty warrior he'd won many major battles when he became king of Israel Jonathan was a strong brave warrior and the son of a king so in normal circumstances Jonathan will be looking toward inheriting the kingdom the throne and he seems to be well suited for it he's faithful he's kind He's devoted, he's brave, and just by his birth, he's next in line for the kingship. But then here comes David, and through circumstances that usually don't happen, he's this ultra-warrior. He recently slew Goliath. It was an act of unbelievable bravery and faith in God. And the whole army just stood back and wouldn't move. And then when David killed Goliath, they rushed in and took took the rest. So Saul keeps David in his army because of his military prowess and because he wins battles for him. He wants this remarkable soldier fighting for him. And Jonathan, who has the most to lose... With David sticking around, he makes this covenant with David. And he gives him him over these possessions. You know, what he's saying is, you know, we are in a covenant. He loved David as much as he loved himself. And so he drew close to David. He wanted to be close friends with David. And he gives him his robe, tunic, bow, and belt. And even his sword, that's like the top for a soldier, right? So there is Jonathan's attitude toward David. He was the one who had most to lose because he was in line to be the king. And now here's David looking like he's taking first place there. But then it talks about the Israelite women celebrating David for his part in in Israel's military victory. Or victories. They sang Saul had killed his thousands and David had killed his ten thousands. Now, that song didn't sit very well with Saul, did it? He now looked at this brave, skilled warrior who had been winning battles for him, not just as a valuable soldier but also as a personal threat to him, didn't he? Saul became envious of David. And you can't put love in there, can you? I mean, if he's envious of David, the love isn't there. He felt threatened by David's success and skills. And the fact that David was becoming well-liked by all the people. And, you know, just as a note, David was a very thankful person. You read it in the Psalms. And you know that he sees himself as very fortunate for God to treat him the way he's treating him. So you see this huge difference between Jonathan's view of David and his father Saul's view of David. And instead of Saul rejoicing in God's provision of David for his army... And for his kingdom, his envy and insecurity won't allow him to be thankful to God. And so he has this major soldier. I mean, this soldier is going to win battles for him, already has. And he can't be thankful for him. Envy won't let him. And instead of wisely using David to help him and to defeat God's enemies... To build up his kingdom, Saul starts going after David. And he makes David another enemy of his. Envy can really destroy our thankfulness, can't it? Envy can really rob us of our joy. So here's what I'm thinking as we look at this whole matter. And I'm sure many of you are thinking... Some, something like this. If we are truly thankful to God and if we truly place our hopes in God and not just in ourselves, trusting his promises, continually looking to him, placing our faith in him and his word, even if things start to look a little wonky for us, And we are faithfully doing what we are supposed to be doing with gratitude toward God. Even when things look like, hey, how come this person's getting the praise? I was doing all of this. But even if something doesn't look exactly right, then if something happens that seems like it could be a threat to our position or our situation, you know, in our jobs, in our church, in our families, well, we can either turn toward envy or fear or insecurity or bitterness or self-centeredness or poor me, or we can turn to God in gratitude for what he is going to do in this new situation and watch him work out the whole matter into something very good in a way that we would have never even dreamed of. And not that it always happens overnight, but God will make it turn out for the better eventually if we keep our faith in Him. Even if things look like they're going the wrong way, even if it looks like we're not getting praise for something and someone else is, even if it looks like we're not being rewarded like we should be, like the way we think we should be, If we keep our faith in God and our gratitude toward Him, He'll work it out. And we see that in the Bible. Now I want to use one last example of envy destroying gratitude and the severe consequences. And it's the way that the Jewish religious, religious leaders responded to Jesus. The very one God sent from heaven to offer them forgiveness for their sins, and to teach them the way that they could enter into eternity with God, into the eternal kingdom. All those people could have listened to Jesus with a heart toward God. If they would have had a heart, a true heart toward God, they would have listened to Jesus because Jesus expressed God in the flesh. They could have searched the scriptures with pure motives... I'm talking about the religious leaders or anybody, but you think of what happened with the religious leaders, excuse me, and what happened with those who turned to Jesus. If those religious leaders would have humbled themselves to listen to someone who was not saying the exact same things they were saying, you see, everything Jesus did threatened them because it wasn't exactly what they were doing, because that was all self centeredness. They were just padding their own comfort. If they would have searched their own hearts to see if what Jesus was saying about, you know, the things he was talking about, if they could be true. But they just automatically said no because he wasn't going along with their, their agenda. And they could have been honest with themselves And they could have looked at their practices and attitudes that they were filled with pride and jealousy and hate if they would have just stopped and given themselves, you know, just looked at themselves closely. And they could have repented of their sins and humbly turned to Jesus Christ like others did. We know that even other leaders did that. We know Nicodemus turned to Christ, we know Joseph of Arimathea turned to Christ. Paul the Apostle turned to Christ. But we also know that many of the religious leaders totally refused to turn to Christ. No matter how much proof was set before them, no matter what the stories were, many of them gave in to their jealousy and envy. Because <clears throat> here's the deal. There was so much at stake for them because they had you know, started the system from scratch and they had set up this system so that they would always be honored and they would have the riches and these poor people, they could just do whatever they could do. And they would be the ones that would be looked up to, although I think so many people did it not from their hearts. But they did enjoy special privileges. They lived higher than the the hoi polloi. They knew people in high places. They carried a lot of authority and clout. They basically held complete rule over the people. Not over the Romans, of course, but over the Jewish people. They would kick them out out of the temple. They would kick them out of the you know, places of worship. And when Jesus showed up and people liked listening to him, they just knew they had to put a stop to that. And in their deep jealousy, self-centered jealousy, they could not turn to God in humility. They could not turn to God in gratefulness and accept the gift of all gifts. The long-awaited Messiah himself. I mean, they were so self-centered that the Messiah came, the long-awaited had, he was been prophesied, preached on, they waited centuries and centuries for him. And they couldn't even you know, accept him, the one who offered to be their sin-bearer, even though he fit the scriptures. And so I'd like to just say that <clears throat> we can all fall into this trap of envy, can't we? You know, there, there may be some circumstances that we would never even be tempted, just depending upon who we are as individuals. And there may be circumstances where we're really tempted. We may at times face circumstances at home, we're at work, in church, in our neighborhood, our extended family. Where, you know, somebody enters the picture that becomes more popular or takes my place. Uh, that's happened to me about telling jokes, you know. All my kids can tell better jokes now. So I've moved back on family family uh, gatherings someone may come in that's more popular more talented more funny more successful more experienced you know move move ahead of you in the ladder and we may feel like we've been pushed aside to some degree but then you know if that happens and you're probably thinking of other circumstances where it could happen somebody could come in and, and move ahead And maybe the person that put them there didn't make a wise choice. And so it just seems like it's such a a cut against us, and it's so unfair, and maybe it's a bad decision, and it's not smart. And those things happen, don't they? But if we bow to envy and disgruntled, disgruntled attitude, then we can't learn from it and we can't really get out of it. It could be that God is bringing a great gift into your world that will end up blessing you more than if you just stayed in your position and didn't get pushed out, or whatever the circumstance was. And maybe God's going to bring something into your life that's just more than you would have imagined. And if you would have rejected envy, you would have found it. That can happen, can't it? And we hear stories of that happening. And it, all of us can be vulnerable. So, the important thing to always remember is that the enemy, one major enemy of thankfulness or gratefulness, is envy. And we can just remind ourselves when faced with what seems like a threatening situation. And, you know, it could be it's just threatening because of our own insecurity. But if we could just remind ourselves to follow the ways of the Lord, you know, not be like Saul, not be like the religious leaders, but offering God thanks because he may be working out something much, much better. Even though at the time we can't figure it out. And that's living a life of faith, isn't it? And in our base human nature, we just take it as a direct attack on us. But if we can give him thanks and push away jealousy and envy, then we can be assured that at some point we will be blessed by staying with Christ. And in the end, we will avoid smothering ourselves in envy And we can experience the true gratitude that comes from God. And our lives will be so much better. And we can be winsome people for the Lord. And God will use us in a way that will bring Him glory and bring us godly satisfaction. And it comes with that heart of gratitude, doesn't it? And it comes with not allowing what we see in front of us to just get us down and think that it's over and, and just like this person's our mortal enemy. It comes with trusting God that he's working out something bigger. Maybe our attitude. Maybe our position. Maybe he's got something great just around the corner. If we just have the right attitude, give it to God, trusting him, And just follow him like we should, no matter what happens. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and all that it teaches us. And it's amazing how much it teaches us through uh, people doing wrong. You know, major characters doing wrong in the Bible. It's amazing that uh, we have so many stories like that but you are generous and kind and helpful to teach us those things through all kinds of stories. And so, Father, we pray that our hearts would be in tune with you and we would not have downcast attitudes or be threatened by things that shouldn't threaten us. We can put our trust in you to make all things work out for good. So help us to stay close to you, follow you, keep our hearts in tune with yours and be thankful so that we can enjoy your rewards for following you closely. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.